All right, we are back with another episode of the Happy Astronaut Show. Uh, and this one's going to be really cool. Uh, I'm excited with it. We have Propane Fitness here um, joining us for this episode. And these guys are really cool. They have definitely a completely unique take on fitness and health in general. Um, if you go to their website, propanefitness.com, they have just an absolute wealth of knowledge here. They have tons of articles. They have their own podcast. And they talk about everything from physique, mindset, productivity, uh, and just crazy things within that. We're definitely going to talk about some of those things. And beyond that as well, um, they help online trainers build their own businesses. And unlike many online trainers out there who you can't really see you know, how they built their online training business before, before they started training online trainers, these guys have done it. They've been in the business for like 12 years um, doing the thing, and they could definitely help you out if you're a trainer yourself. But without further ado, I'm going to bring uh, Johnny and Yousef up here to uh, to join me. So I'm going to, again, I, I'm very bad at doing uh, the call-in features here, so I'll try my best to, to make this quick. But um, here we go, just adding Johnny. Hey, Johnny, if you just turn off your, or if you turn off the mute button, uh, you'll be able to speak. Hey. Can you hey, okay? yep. Uh, and now, are both you guys on this one account, or do I have to add Yusef here too? Uh, got... You need to add Yusef as well. We're in okay. separate places. All right, there we go. Just invited Yusef to speak to. And if you guys both just unmute yourselves, yeah, there we go. Hello, John. Hey, how's it going? Good. We made it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's this app is definitely interesting. It's kind of like Clubhouse, um, but really just specifically for podcasts. I like it because it's really easy to create podcasts and just like click publish and be done. I mean, obviously you guys have your own podcast. You probably have to have like an RSS feed. You have to do the artwork for it. You have to edit each episode. Um, this app just is kind of seamless and it's really low barrier to entry, which is why I use it. Right, got you. So what I want to do is <laughs> I have a very interesting, I have a lot of um, and whoever wants to answer what, go for it, but on your website, it says you guys have transformed 3,980-plus physiques. You've written 400-plus articles. You've been training people for about 12 years. But it also says 1,128,478 cheesecakes have been eaten. Can you guys explain to me what that means? <laughs> I'll let Yusuf answer that one. So that, that, that was initially as a joke, but actually probably quite close to the uh, the real number um if you account for i mean what what's that one 1.1.9 million cheesecakes so if we divide that by the number of days that we've been alive um <laughs> a few hundred cheesecakes a day john so you know it's pretty manageable well yeah yeah sounds it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i noticed that when i obviously when you click on the button there uh the cheesecakes is lit lit up in, in pink um, it brings you to a if your fits your macros sort of conversation. I believe a podcast and an article. I didn't get the opportunity to uh, read or listen to that podcast, but you could could you guys just describe to me a little bit about uh, how many cheesecakes were eaten and, and why so many cheesecakes were eaten? So I think it's the like Yusuf and I started the the fitness journey um, initially very focused on like the type of food we're eating and when we're eating it and yep. uh, food quality, the timing of macronutrients, all the sort of standard diets with, that were around in like 2010, 2011. Um, and the, the moment where 
like the clouds parted and the sky cleared and we realized that actually um, you could really push the boundaries of something like if it fits your macros and still lose weight. Um, we both very much went the the totally opposite direction. So for both of us, I think coincidentally, that one of the things that we'd, we'd sort of not allowed ourselves to eat much of up to that point was cheesecake. Um, so we have articles on the website devoted to cheesecake and we talked about cheesecake a lot. Um, so around the time that we started our coaching and, and the, through a lot of the clients we work with, um, cheesecakes have been a big theme. So, yeah, I mean, the number was a joke, but as Yusuf says, I think if you add up all the cheesecakes that everybody we've worked with or has read an article, listened to a podcast, has eaten, I bet it's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so now, how did you two get started together? Were you guys both trainers and then sort of like knew each other? Or how did you guys start this business, Propane Fitness, together? We actually went to school together. And we were proper suckers for the, you know, the bodybuilding magazines that gave you a free sample of a pre-workout product or um, the latest tempo training that you need to try. And, and really, Propane was born out of frustration with the mixed messages that the fitness industry gives you so there's a lot of stuff in there where that it causes you to miss the wood for the trees because of the conflicting recommendations and you're always kind of program hopping and and really over time as we started to clarify our own understanding of fitness we thought this would make sense to turn this into something that other people can benefit from as well so it wasn't really intended as a business to begin with it was really just a, an outlet so that we could save some time for other people and as we did that we started to realize oh actually that is quite a valuable service in itself synthesizing information about getting a particular result and helping other people to get the same thing so did it start more with content and sort of the articles you guys write and you know the blogs and the website or did it start how did it start um, exactly? Was it more like content-based and then it became more training-based or was it always kind of just a mix of both things? Yeah, it started out um, almost entirely as articles and the articles weren't really even designed for, for anyone else to read at the time. It was it was Yusuf and I documenting like uh, the stuff we were slowly figuring out um, and that naturally gained. So we were when we first started it, we were at university. That naturally gained a little bit of attention from friends who were sort of getting into to training themselves, which led to our first handful of clients. Um, and then over the years, we we took things more seriously. So we got into marketing, um, came up with a proper structure for what we were doing, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it started out as really just us talking about what we were trying and what was working, what wasn't, and that that slowly grew a little bit of attention and allowed us to, to try working with some people really and decide that this is something we wanted to do. Last, you know, sort of standard question before we sort of go off the beaten path a little bit. Could you guys just tell me your backgrounds a little bit? So obviously, Yusef, you're a doctor. And then Johnny, I don't know too much about you because I, I looked up you guys like about page and it's very, very brief. So could you just speak to sort of you guys' backgrounds? Yeah, sure. So uh, I studied economics at uni and then went to accountancy and trained as a chartered accountant, actually. So a completely different career path. Um, and once I'd qualified, um, sort of gained the like the letters after my name, got the certification, all that sort of stuff. Um, at about the same time, uh, propane was doing okay-ish, um, like just enough so that you know, I could leave and, and do this full time and give it a real run. So um, back in 2016, I quit 
like corporate world um, to start doing this the, the online fitness coaching full time. So that's like the background of how I ended up where I am today. Gotcha. And you, Yusuf? So yeah, very very similar. Um, Johnny and I both entered the kind of financial corporate world around the same time, and slowly realized that um, that that lifestyle wasn't really what what it was cracked up to be, and that's that's also partly what. Um, has informed the other arm of the business. So as <clears throat> as we were building propane, it got to the point where Johnny was able to quit his job as an accountant and I was able to, to quit my job as a doctor um, to do this full time. And through the systems and processes that we developed over that time, uh, we started to get a lot of inquiries of people asking, oh, like, how can I do the same? You know, I'm working in say an office job that I'm not enjoying or I'm or I'm a personal trainer but I'm I'm sick of the the hours getting up at five in the morning for my first clients and then you know having to come back into the gym for 9 p.m um so we ended up really just packaging our expertise and helping other trainers and coaches to do the same to really take their knowledge and expertise and turn it into a online program that gives them financial freedom and freedom of location yeah, I think that's super valuable because I remember, so I was a personal trainer right out of college. I had my degree in exercise science, and I left my job after like six months. Um, I just didn't really like the guy I was working for. I was like, you know, I could probably do this on my own. Like, There's no reason for me to be giving such a giant cut to these guys. And I was going to leave, and I remember the um, one of my managers at the time was like, hey, just so you know, like 95% of personal trainers quit after the first year. And I was like, that's a pretty pretty crazy number, but it's probably true because after I had trained on my own for about a year, um, I was like, man, this is like really tiring and it doesn't scale very well. So I think what you guys are doing is super, super, is super important. I want to speak to that a little bit later, but I do have some questions because I, I want to learn here too uh, beyond just you know giving the listeners something to uh, hear is you know you guys talk a lot about productivity and mindset. And really, like, you guys kind of dive in deep in the esoteric when it comes to fitness. Um, just as sort of an overview, how does productivity and, I guess, a productive mindset play into a healthy lifestyle? Because there's definitely a lot of people out there status signaling about how much they work in a day, but then, of course, you know, um, aren't quite the healthiest people in the world. So how do those things all sort of tie together? So you, do you mean like how, how would uh, someone who's productive in other areas of their life apply that to health and fitness, do you mean? Yeah, I really like the way you frame that. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think the way the way that we teach fitness and, and business actually is this idea of having a North Star, so something that you're, a direction you're pointing in and something that you're trying to achieve or work towards um, as an outcome or as a lag number and lag metric that you're measuring, but you can't necessarily directly influence and then reverse engineering that back into a process or set of behaviors or lead indicators that you can influence. And really all that ends up being, again, whether it's fitness or your career or um, tidying your house or building a business, it's just a set of behaviors that you need to do daily, weekly, monthly, and then have an adherence to that process. Um, so really when it comes down to, to productivity or how much you produce your output, um, it usually just comes down to your mindset around like how do I approach a day or how do I approach a week and how do I improve my consistency with the system? Um, so anything we're teaching really, we're always putting it within that framework. Um, and I think, you know, someone who has done a lot in their career 
can can transfer a lot of what they do in their career or a lot of what they do in their work life into something like fitness or even into something like building a business um it's really tend to be what they're what they're missing is the a process that they trust that they can follow that is broken down into daily and weekly tasks and they often think oh you know it's this this 28 day program that i'm going to throw everything into and hope it works when actually they should be looking at the next year and saying, well, how do I improve my consistency over the next year? So that that's why we talk about productivity a lot and consistency and mindset and a lot of the habit formation, because we've just found that that's really all that's required to achieve anything. Yeah, I definitely think habits are the cornerstone of many things in life. And also, I like how you said, you know, people who are highly productive in their life should be able to translate that to their health and fitness, especially when you look at so many people who are just overworked um, because they kind of put it on themselves. They are the CEO of some Fortune 500 company, and they're doing really well financially, but obviously um, you, know, you look at them and you can tell that their health is not an importance or of any importance. But then you look at somebody like Jeff Bezos, who's obviously like inc- incredibly jacked right now. So um, clearly it's possible even for the richest man in the world. I think this is about creating artificial se- separations in your, in your life between different dimensions. And people often optimize for one result and forget that actually you are a human and you're operating in this vehicle that is your body. Your mind is housed in that body and all of the different aspects of yourself are totally interlinked. And it's only conceptual uh, distinctions that we make that say that it's say that they're separate. Um, and I think because sometimes the way that language works, we end up thinking that, you know, even the so you're in the United States, John, is that right? Correct. So you've got the, you've got all the different states, which conceptually have very, you know, separate lines and rules and laws and everything, but actually it's all part of the same landmass. And if an alien came down and landed on the United States, they'd just be like, well, this is just a big, <laughs> a big expanse, you know? So treating yourself as a single functional unit and trying to optimize all parts of it, it's quite important. And then I think within that, as, as Johnny kind of alluded to, that from a productivity perspective, it's very possible to be busy with anything, to, to just get really, really busy and do lots of um, lots of work around something that isn't really focused towards having a particular result. So particularly if you're setting up an online business and you're self-employed and you have any number of things that you could be working on today, it's important to have a North Star so that you're saying, okay, like today I'm actually looking to get, to get this result and I'm going to really um, divert all of my resources and attention towards it. And it sounds silly, but when you're in an employed role or a particular job, like all those frameworks are laid out for you. And so you don't need to worry about the big picture because that's kind of handled by the systems of the organization. Um, so I think one massive part of productivity as a whole is recognizing that what is more important than how and you could be working really fast and really productively and really efficiently but in totally the wrong direction and it's not going to take you to where you want to be yeah that's a great way to put that i was reading this blog by this uh venture capitalist chris dixon and it was all about you know finding the right hill to climb and right as you climb one hill and you realize it's not the highest one you know, in the surrounding area, you want to climb back down and find the next highest hill. So 
like you said, the what is more important than the how and, and making sure you're working on the right things. And health is obviously one of the most important ones you can be working on. Uh, coming back to the mindset piece of everything and sort of the mental aspect of things, I do want to discuss meditation for a moment. I think it's a bit of a buzzword, but it's really not in practice. I personally meditate um, daily, and it's it's really sort of something that's changed my life. Uh, Yousef, you currently have or did as a podcast you did two years ago. I have a meditation coach, Angel. Am I pronouncing that right? The, who, who is it you're pronouncing? Angel, Angel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Angel, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, I feel, I feel less bad for, for getting it wrong then. Um, can you speak on your current meditation practice and the benefits it has provided you? And Johnny, of course, if you do meditate as well, you can you can speak to this. Johnny's probably more consistent with meditation than I am at the moment, um, but it is something that has always has always been a, a, a dear practice to to us both. Um, it's just a way to clear the decks mentally, so that you can think more clearly, perform at your best. Um, recognize what's important, uh, improve your emotional intelligence, your ability to communicate. Like this, so I think it's so wide ranging that it's a practice that if you're, and it comes down to what I was saying before about seeing seeing yourself as separate entities. That if you if you see yourself as a weightlifter or a bodybuilder, then you might prioritize your mind over your body in in many ways, and and just kind of ignore the fact that all of these aspects of ourselves are trainable and they're things that um, that are worth exploring and seeing what it's capable of. Um, but then also from a practical perspective, we know that meditation does improve how well your day goes, how much work you get done, how well you stay on task, and as a result, improving your life on, on the kind of longer time frame as well. Yeah, I think there's... Uh, so it was actually Yusuf got me into meditating or introduced me to it um, and then has encouraged me to do more of it throughout throughout the years of us of us both practicing um, you know I started off on like the the James Clear advice of doing you know 30 seconds of meditation and then 31 seconds of meditation and then 32 seconds of meditation to build the habit and it was it was Yusuf who encouraged me to actually do an amount of meditation that might actually make a difference um, I, I think there's there's two real benefits that I see. One of them is, is definitely, as you sort of mentioned, it's it's like clearing the, the mental cash at the start of the day um, and also improving things. You know, a lot of the stuff that is spoken about um, when meditation is discussed uh, of, you know, improving concentration and managing stress and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think the, the other side of meditation that I get that is discussed, the deeper you get into meditation, people start talking more about um, self-inquiry and this idea of, of getting out of, the default mode that, that you often find yourself in. So like trapped in the the stories and the ongoing narrative that, that just runs constantly in the background all day mm-hmm. um, and being able to pull yourself out of that occasionally um, and realizing, you know, placing things in context. Um, and as you said, you know, seeing, seeing everything as a, as a whole rather than the, the stories and the, the problems and the frustrations that you're wrapped up in. Um, so I guess like practically I find it improves your, reaction to things or how you interact with things as they happen um and just generally your your ability to concentrate and focus and and produce things throughout the day yeah i really like those frameworks you guys spoke about yousef i really like how you said clearing the decks 
Um, so I don't know if you guys know who Naval Ravikant is. Obviously, being in the business world, you guys might know a little bit about him. But his, yeah, but his framework that he says it's like clearing your mental inbox. So, like you're going through and you're just like reading an email, clicking delete, reading an email, clicking delete. And when you're meditating, you're doing the same thing where you're listening to a thought. Okay, that thought has been listened to. I've analyzed it. It's it goes away now, um, or at least we hope it does. So, Johnny, to your point, you know the whole thing that you were saying about you know not being caught in these stories that we have with ourselves. Um, you know, meditation can really provide that. I, so I, I love what both of you guys said, and it's definitely the benefits I've derived from it as well. Could you guys speak to your practices, like how you guys meditate, what your um, yeah, what your practice is just in general, how long you meditate, do you do it daily, is it a habit you try to keep up in the mornings, in the afternoons? All- the, there's a few ways to categorize your types of meditation practice. So the two frameworks that I would use to kind of broadly put them into buckets would be mind, heart, and body. So you can either have mind-oriented practices, heart-oriented and and body-oriented, depending on what you find particularly troublesome and what you struggle most with. Um, And I do think that you should approach it the same way as if you are... so, So as a personal trainer, if you have a client who's like, a big, strong man, fat guy who's not very flexible, <clears throat> but he's got a massive deadlift and he's really muscular, but, you know, he can run 500 meters before he's keeled over on the floor. You would say to that guy, like, okay, let's put you on a fat loss diet and do a bit of yoga, a bit of stretching, um, get your conditioning up. You would you would work on his weaknesses. You wouldn't say, oh, what you need is to deadlift more and go on a bulk because he's already pretty good with that stuff. So picking the practice that suits your weaknesses is quite important. Um, and you'll open up a whole new world of kind of atrophied areas of your, of your ability. Does that make sense? Um, we then yeah. also have another way to look at it, which is the kind of Henepala Gorantana. He, he's a, the, a monk who wrote a very, very good seminal book on modern meditation called Mindfulness in Plain English. And he talks about it in terms of the two arms of traditional meditation. So concentration-based and mindfulness-based. Concentration-based is one-pointed, focused concentration on a meditation object. Mindfulness-based is open-focus, floodlight approach, which is the typical Vipassana mindfulness approach. And he says you need to train both of these in balance. One of them develops precision and openness of awareness and the other one develops concentration and kind of locking down the awareness and keeping on on one task so again leaning into your weakness and finding out which of those do i need to train more and going with that so hopefully that gives you a framework for selecting the right type of method depending on what you struggle with the most yeah i definitely like um because i definitely see meditation as an act of listening and I take sort of that open focus approach, but to your point, both should be practices, especially if you have a hard time focusing on a single task, you should practice the art of focusing on a single task. Now, could this be something like chanting a mantra like Om? Would that be that single focus sort of effort or is it something a little bit different? Yeah, so um, chanting mantras or the kind of awareness focus meditation breath focus all these things or even things like 
looking at a candle or listening to a sound. These are all concentration-based practices. Um, the the other thing is a lot of people, if you feel like you're in, particularly if you're in like a knowledge working job and you feel like you operate from the neck up all the time, sometimes you need to do a body oriented practice, breath work or, or yoga. And then if you feel like your heart is closed and you losing compassion and empathy or that you feel you're kind of emotionally locked down, then heart oriented practices are useful. So um, I guess it's about finding, diagnosing where is my current bottleneck for me as a person and how can I train that? Yeah, I really like that. There's definitely so much there to explore and I'm excited to listen to this again and sort of go through each of these types of practices and, and try them. Because like I said, I'm, I'm pretty diligent about meditating, but I have a one approach and I don't necessarily try all of them. Now, again, just going into the, the esoteric a little bit here, um, you discussed a bit in your podcast about NoFap. I didn't listen to that podcast, but I did watch Angel's YouTube video about his two-year transformation, and I really liked his framing on this. It was, you know, each of these components, meditation, exercise, eating well, no fat, like they all add a little bit to your fire, and you want to just keep growing the fire by adding these things, sobriety, um, you know, all of these different things that can improve your, your state of being. But on a different note, I'm also reading this book, literally just started and I'm reading it with my friend by J.D. Unwin. It's called Sex and Culture. It's a fascinating book, but he talks about how over generations, civilizations who have adopted uh, monogamistic tendencies versus you know, sexual freedom, those that adopted monogamistic tendencies actually were more successful over the course of three generations where people who adopted more sexual freedom, you know, pretty much you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, uh, actually collapsed within three generations. So could you speak to your conversation with Angel about NoFap? Oh, so, so uh, I, there's not much I can say about the monogamy, polygamy stuff. Um, I know there's, a, there's been a few books about that on my reading list. Sex at Dawn is one that keeps getting recommended to me. Um, but Johnny and I are both pretty monogamous, boring people. So, um, from from that perspective, I'll, you'll have to check back in with us in a, in a year and see if we've we've got a harem of uh, of loads of loads of women. But um, from from a nofap perspective, yeah. So Anhel's a really interesting guy because he's someone who's a, I think a bit of a psychonaut. Like he's really explored all aspects of of his being, and he does he does some experiments that really push the limits of kind of standard understanding. Um, He's probably one of the more reasonable nofap people, one of the kind of clearer speaking ones, <clears throat> and that community has a lot of fanatics um, in that area. Just because, of course, like any addiction, if someone is addicted to something and then they stop cold turkey, they're going to see changes in their behaviour when that's transmuted into something else. Um, personally, I don't think there's much of an evidence basis for nofap. I don't think it's um, outside of addiction. I don't think that all these kind of miraculous claims that people people have are re are replicable in normal people. I think it's uh, it's more to do with stopping an addiction than than it is to do with any kind of um, esoteric, um, I guess, conservation of spiritual energy or anything like this. I think if we take Occam's razor to it, 
it's more likely that they they've just freed up some time and energy to put into other pursuits. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, uh, so I read the book uh, Your Brain on Porn, and I think pornography also has a bigger role to play in the positive impacts that people get from the nofap movement. And at the same time, to your point, Yusef, I in that book he has a whole bunch of like you know, uh, forum board, like excerpts from people who are like, yeah, like my life changed. I have 17 girlfriends now, you know, two wives. And, uh, you know, I'm, I have making a million dollars a year in just six months. It's like, okay, well that, that doesn't sound completely realistic, but on hell's framing, <laughs> on hell's framing where it was more like, you know, you just, each of these things is just a layer to your ability to, to do more made a lot of sense to me. Now, do you guys, practice that i mean i don't mean to get too too personal but um you don't have to answer i suppose but where are you on the spectrum of that sort of thing obviously you talked about being pretty monogamous um anything else to say there i think but well both of us have been through i think with most aspects of personal development most of like both of us have tried it um in the past it's not something that i think i mean i can't speak for useless personal habits but it's not something that either of us uh um, you know, definitively decided on something that we do. I think the way that I view uh, anything like this, when you know, whether it's it's giving something up for a period of time or changing behavior for a period of time, um, is you know, is this change that I'm doing something that I am like? What am I? What am I trying to get out of it? Like, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Like, if I'm going to stop, you know, this, like, I'm going to do 90 days of no fat. Okay, that's great. But what? What about day 91? Right. And the same as people who give up alcohol for a period of time or um, do any challenge for a period of time. I think there's only really any value to that if it's something that you are willing to sustain, really. Um, unless, as Yusuf says, it's, it's managing an addiction or it's, it's reframing your relationship with something. Um, but certainly I would agree with Yusuf that there's nothing magical about it. Like, obviously, there's impacts from it, um, but I'd far rather... Or the way that I view it is I'm, I'm mindful of my sort of my urges and how I manage them or my like cravings and how I manage them and trying to see that as one one skill set in and of itself so sort of a, a daily discipline because I don't think there's any point in trying something like NoFap but then translating that desire onto something that is equally unproductive right I think it's it's about learning to manage and deal with an urge or a craving or a desire that is not necessarily aligned with what you want in the long term and dealing with that rather than I'm going to ban this thing for 90 days because I think that's there's going to be some magical effect. Um, so that's my personal thought on it. Like it, it's something I think it's important to try it if you want to try it. If you if you like watch these videos on YouTube with people talking about it and think, oh, that might work for me. Um, but I think it's also important with all of these challenges or all of these very extreme changes in behaviors to think, well, what am I going to do afterwards? Like, how am I going to integrate this into my life going forward? It's a very good point. And I think there's there's something to be said for, as, as Johnny says about like the dry January or um, no fap, no, no, no November and all these kind of short challenges, unless there's a plan for the end, then what have you really done? Like, I guess you've proven to yourself, here's what life could be like if I have none of it, but then what? How do you reintegrate that? And in my experience, whenever I have so much, 
my personal vice, my addictive behavior, and this is embarrassing, but it's, it's playing some stupid little game on my phone. So if I'm, and, and it's always associated with if I'm in pain in some way. <clears throat> so whenever I've got stressful periods um, that have happened in my life, so after my dad died or before um, big medical med school exams, like my tendency was to just want to kind of numb out on a, on a stupid game on my phone, like, you know, l- literally like Tetris or Mortal Kombat or some like something that's just completely, you can switch your brain off and just do that too. Um, so usually it's about identifying what is the pain that's causing me to defer to this kind of behavior and addressing that. Yeah. And I definitely think all of these urges and all of these things that we do, these addictions, they all stem from very similar places. And they're all, like you said, you said escapes from something else. So like you said, Johnny, trying to find why that urge exists. And then once you've sort of cut that out, not now just finding another vice, um, but actually applying that new energy into something productive um, is definitely incredibly valuable. So I think you guys' perspectives there is completely rational and, and, and definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, um, you guys also discussed a little bit in some of your articles about the Wim Hof method. I have a friend who recently went through like the Wim Hof course. Uh, he, he mentioned a whole bunch of benefits. Could you speak to your experiences with Wim Hof and some of the things you noticed at- Sure. So we've we've both done the Wim Hof method. Actually, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in what Johnny's um, experience of it is. Sure. Um, yeah. So I was on a uh, a course uh, as part of like a, a mastermind that I was in, um, and part of the what, one of the days he, uh, the guy who ran the mastermind <clears throat> brought in a Wim Hof instructor, um, and I'd done Wim Hof uh, like on my own, on and off. Uh, and had sort of like mixed results with it. This this Wim Hof instructor just took us through the same explanation that you'll probably already seen online. Um, and then basically a, a longer version of the Wim Hof process that I'm not used to. So I think it probably lasted about half an hour in total. Um, so several rounds of the breathing, um, longer and longer retention periods. Um, and the final uh, the final breath retention was, was like this very intense uh, response for me. Like I ended up, like in tears, having hallucinations. It was surreal. Um, and so after that, that was in like end of 2019. Um, after that, I obviously, you know, you have a, a response like that to something you're trying uh, or like some anything in, in, in personal development because like instant reactions are so rare. It's very easy to get hooked on that, right? In the same way that if you ever had beta alanine, the supplement, you get tingles from it. It's like, wow, that must be, that must be doing something. Um, so yeah, so that, that led me to consistently do it for probably about a year. Um, and I, I think the way that I ended up feeling about it was it's the same as, like, I think there's, there's, there's certainly some benefits to it. I think some of the, the science that Wim refers to is a little bit exaggerated sometimes the way that he frames it. Um, I think it's great to improve your state and improve how you feel. Um, and obviously great for like CO2 tolerance and all these sorts of things. Um, but that like period of my morning and my day when I'm going to devote it to something like that, um, at the moment I, I choose meditation over Wim Hof. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that what I experienced or the similar experiences that I had after that are anything other than just the effects of manipulating oxygen. Um, but it's a, it's a cool thing to try. 
Um, but at, at the moment, I'm not. I'm not doing it at all. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I just speaking of morning routines. If you do all the things that people who have their own morning routines think you should do, soon enough, you're going to wake up at 6 a.m. It'll be 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You'll spend all this time journaling, meditating, Wim Hofing, and taking cold showers and uh, not have actually gotten anything done. So to your point, you definitely have to figure out what works for you and what has definitely. the biggest impact. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Yousef, your experiences with Wim Hof? Very, very similar. I think it's it's a cool thing to try once in a while, but, um, you know, we I wouldn't recommend it as a daily practice for people. Um, it's it's a very kind of stimulating activity and, you know, it's you, people use it to hype themselves up similar to, and you, you, you end up with feeling like you've uh, had some caffeine for the rest of the day. And there is something about the hormesis kind of stress response. If you give yourself a cold injection and then um, you slowly learn to, to compensate from that and it resets your sensitivity to stress and so on. But um, yeah, you've, you've got to pick your battles. And exactly as you said, John, like if you did all the stuff for, that's recommended by the classic billionaire morning routine, then yeah, you feel great and productive afterwards, but it's it's now two in the afternoon and you've, uh, you've got a couple of hours to actually get your work done. Um, so from that perspective, I think whether it's Wim Hof, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, journaling, I think pick the one that you find the highest yield from and double down on it. But um, trying to do everything at once, unless you've got the luxury of, you know, if, if you're Ben Greenfield and you have a cold tub in your house and an infrared sauna and you have all the time in the world, then fine, you can play around with that stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's not something that... Having having both done it consistently for a while, it's no longer something that we would do as part of a daily routine. Don't do Wim Hof ever. Noted. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So moving on a little bit into the fitness industry, um, you guys are both uh, you know online trainers yourself. You guys have trained a whole bunch of people. Um, and obviously, you've been doing this for quite some period of time. And what's what's great is like you started propane fitness. It took a while to get off the ground, but soon enough you were able to sustain it, and then it was so successful that you thought you could actually pass on some of that information to others. What made you guys want to be mentors to other trainers? Because we do have a lot of people out there who are, you know, trainers for online trainers. You see these, you know, these chads all the time on Facebook, just like spending all this money on these ads. And I've never heard of these guys before in my life. I have no idea who they are. They have, there's no references for them but they're telling you that they can make you a six-figure business. Um, so what made you guys want to do it? Um, and then maybe if you guys could speak to like the chads out there as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I think it there was two things really that happened. One of them was uh, really through marketing mistakes. Uh, we ended up having a lot of personal trainers who followed us in the, on the fitness side of the, the business. So, we would have people on our fitness podcast that we thought would be interesting to speak to um, that not didn't really actually appeal to our target customer for what we were trying to sell, um, but they were other personal trainers. So over the years of, of running the fitness business and growing it, we still have this. Like one of my clients is a, is a personal trainer and I do his, his macros and his training every week. Uh, but we just acquired that market. Um, and when we quit 
the corporate world to do this stuff full time and earn their living from it, I think a lot of them were like, oh, I thought like I, I was under the impression this was a, a hobby for you guys, or like a side thing. I didn't realize you were earning a full time income from it. Can you teach me how to do that? Um, and so it, it started actually as like tagged on to our weekly check ins with clients who were PTs where we were doing their fitness coaching. We would have like a business discussion as part of the weekly check in with them. Um, and it was about the same time. So this will be sort of six or seven years after starting the fitness business. We started to feel like we actually had some stuff to share, um, which is a weird thing, right? Because a lot of people have this imposter syndrome in coaching in general. And I think especially when it comes to teaching business, even though both of us have a business background and Yusuf worked in investment bank and I worked in an accountancy firm, we both still felt like we didn't know enough about business to teach business. Um, so it took us a while to get to that point. Um, but yeah, we started teaching the, the basics for people. We eventually packaged it into a program, into a course, into a, into a proper system. We started working with more people we started seeing that what we were doing or what we'd done actually worked for other people as well, which I think is the, you, you need to have proven it yourself and then you need to prove it with other people, right? It's not, can't just be a, a flash in the pan one-off. Um, so that's how we uh, started doing it. In terms of our thoughts on others in the industry, um, it's hard, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have much respect for anyone who's willing to, to, to like lie about their background. Um, you know, say they had a fitness business when they didn't or try to teach someone something when they've had no real experience of it themselves. Because I do think there's nuance in actually having done it rather than just sort of what you've learned in selling, you know, marketing to personal trainers. I think they're, I think they're very different markets and very different uh, businesses. Um, is that to say that they have nothing to offer? No, absolutely not. Like I'm sure some of them are very good at it, but I just don't think it's a very good place to learn from. Um, you know, I'd far rather, I'd rather learn from someone who's where we're trying to get to and has sustained that level for a while, rather than they've had a month where they made eight thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars or pounds and call themselves a call themselves a, a six-figure <laughs> business, right? So, um, yeah, that's 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 like how we got there, and um, certainly my thoughts on on the rest of the industry as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's definitely very apt and. So I was a, obviously a personal trainer. I got out of it to start my startup video, which I'll speak briefly about. So we're like a platform for online trainers where you can like build programs and then send them to your clients. And it's unlike, you know, Trainerize and True Coach and all these things, it's free to use because we have a marketplace where you can sell programs. The commission we make on that allows us to offer the rest of the platform for free. And we're always looking for, you know, people like you. We have other, you know, mentors to trainers on our platform who are working on bringing their clients over here. But when I was a trainer myself, I'd get approached by these guys all the time, like these these other guys who really didn't build a business for themselves. Like you said, they had one month where they did well, and now they've decided that they're going to mentor others. Um, where you guys, it's a lot more of like a natural progression. Like people were asking you for it before you decided it was going to be something that you even offered in the first place. Um, well, it, it wasn't even something we wanted to offer because we thought, oh, God, we're giving away trade secrets here. Um, and it was only demand driven that at some point we were getting a lot of people asking us. And we thought, do you know what? Rather than taking people on as fitness clients and helping them with their business, which ends up taking more time, we need to just turn this into a proper product and document what we're doing in propane, all of the testing all of the ads all of the the stuff that we've learned and help condense that for 
trainers in other niches. And actually, looking back, I think it was kind of a scarcity mindset that we were we were worried about giving away the information and the secrets because the fitness industry is huge. Like the market is massive, and it's not really as if us helping another coach is going to mean that they steal our fitness clients. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it, it kind of came about through that, and I think through the the mindset shift of us learning that we can actually let go of this and we can we can help people without you know recognizing that the market's big enough for everyone yeah there's so many people out there like fitness is a problem that everybody has either staying fit or getting fit and it's just it's a massive market like you said nobody's coming to steal your clients it's and it's really hard to steal somebody else's clients like people like the trainer that they work with especially if they have some sort of compound interest built with them now, you guys being so deep in the fitness industry, obviously, I've looked at a lot of your content, um, and I want to ask you guys, like, where do you think, and this is a very broad question, and answer it you know, however comes to your mind, but where are we going? Like, What is the future of the fitness profession? I think there's, so we, we had a lot of questions <clears throat> after COVID and when the world or gyms reopened again, will online training still exist? Um, and obviously from our perspective, we've been doing online training since 2009, 2010. So, you know, COVID really had nothing to do with it as far as we were concerned, but I realized it made a lot of people aware of it. Um, and a lot of people were forced online either because they, you know, had to, or that they wanted to try it out and it was an excuse to try it. Um, I think what we're seeing more and more is just a, a split of how, customers so like fitness clients for personal trainers out there how they behave i mean i think there'll always be offline clients like purely offline clients so people who were working with an online coach but as soon as gyms reopened they were straight back into the gym right and what they want from their their coach their pt is someone in the gym with them holding their hand throughout the session making sure their knees don't track too far over their toes you know making sure they're not going to hurt themselves not necessarily the the programming, the consultancy, the, the detailed look into the nutrition, right? So there's an offline client and those clients will always want to work offline. Um, and I think personal training in that respect will probably, you know, until everything's fully automated and run by artificial intelligence, will probably always exist. Um, with the online side of it, I think we are seeing more and more apps that try to remove the, the PT from the equation, like apps that auto-adjust calories and auto-adjust training programs. But when it comes to like succeeding in a fitness journey i think really what people need is the the accountability they need a person to to discuss it with they need a person to check in with they need someone to look bad in front of um and i think there are increasingly a number of online clients so people who don't necessarily see working with a personal trainer as an option either because it's inconvenient or too expensive um or perhaps they just don't need the direct accountability and what they need is more of a consultancy service um and that's a lot of the coaches that we help. That is where they specialize. So they are working with people who are already going to the gym four or five days a week, um, but aren't seeing the results they want and want someone to come in and say, what am I doing wrong? What do I change? Um, so I think we'll just see that, you know, people find their own side of that equation, whether they're an online client or an offline client. And I think we'll see personal trainers and coaches also pick a side uh, as well. Um, and then obviously there's there's an increasing number of tools and apps to help each side and also to replace to replace PTs if, if people want to just do something without a mentor. Um, but I think obviously the online side of things has got way more room for growth because for a lot of people it's it's brand new, 
right? It, they were introduced to it throughout 2020 um, and are still exploring it. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to hear, Youssef, your thoughts. Yeah, I very much agree, to be honest. I think um, there is a market certainly for AI-based coaching where someone, you have more advanced lifters who know what they want. They just want something to auto-adjust their calories, you know, that, and if the app tells them increase your carbs this week by 15 grams and drop one set on your incline curl, they're happy with that. But I think that's the minority. That's the, the people who have already got over all of the adherence-related struggles. And really with that, there's no substitute for a human. Um, you know, the human accountability and having someone to talk you through. And we've certainly found, I'm sure you've had the same, John, that the majority of the questions that you get from clients are not about leucine metabolism or how many grams of creatine should they be taking, but it's it's usually the very human stuff. It's the um, struggling to to deal with problems, emotional issues, social events. And so having a coach to guide them through along with some of the, the more practical stuff is kind of the, the perfect blend of the two. And I think that's where the future of online fitness is because it will help to combine all of the benefits of machine learning and programming and the quantitative stuff with a human and enable the coach to, to deliver their service best. Yeah. I think trainers won't be replaced by AGI maybe AGI, but definitely not AI in the near term. Because I think there's, like Johnny said, you know, there's so much that accountability just plays a role into this. Like, it's very hard to be accountable to your phone. Um, to be quite honest, like, we need to be accountable to stay off our phones more often than not. And even me personally, like, I have a trainer, right? So I built this this app and I was able to get a trainer through it. And that's cool. I train, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I train like five, six days a week already, and he came in, uh, gave me a program, and just being accountable to him, even though I, like, I have my degree in exercise science, I don't need somebody to tell me what to do in my workouts, but just having that accountability, I've made more progress in my personal fitness than I ever have, and it's kind of crazy to think about. So, you know, everybody could have a trainer as long as, you know, there's a trainer out, out there for them that they can afford. Uh, now, I, I think you guys kind of answered this, the last question I have. So I'll try to reframe it a little bit. But the question I had was, you know, obviously I'm building a tech product in this space, but I want to enable trainers. Um, I want more trainers on that platform using it to enhance their business, not like, you know, Johnny said to sort of replace the trainer. I think there's definitely a lot of fitness apps out there that are trying to do that. But there's also this big movement with hard tech right now we see with like Peloton and Tonal and these other wearables and these other devices, where do you guys see hard tech like Peloton, like Tonal, like these products that can do a lot of the heavy lifting that trainers would have to do, sort of fitting in with trainers uh, in the fitness? Oh, that's a good question. The These things that certainly Peloton for cyclists, very popular, and they've, they're already growing massive market share, I think, with the help of Tim Ferriss. With for, for lifters and people who train in gyms, I don't think the technology is mature enough just yet. I've seen some things that seem to appeal to people who, if you live in a 
pokey Tokyo flat and you haven't got space for a barbell and things and you have that that kind of cable thing that digitally changes the resistance. I don't know if you've seen that. I can't remember what it's called now. Yes, um, I have. And that was one of the ones that's one of the ones that's been on my mind uh, more so than anybody else. Oh, cool. So yeah, that's all like the smart mirrors and stuff. There is a market for that stuff and probably it's going to form its own niche. I think it hasn't come anywhere near maturity yet. Um, and probably the, 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 the most logical next step for that type of technology is group classes and it's probably going to be on demand stuff. So pre-recorded Peloton routines or um, the same way that you would watch a yoga routine and on YouTube and, and do it at home. Um, so I think it probably will complement, but not replace the future of online coaching. Yeah, I entirely agree. And I think you're, yeah, I, I, I think that's interesting. I think your idea with the group training is very interesting because again, we can't replace the human aspect of this. We can't replace the accountability factor. But in a group class, people are ac- accountable to the people in the group. Um, so, Johnny, I'd love to hear your... Yeah, so I, I think it's easy to... So I know a few people who, who have bought a Peloton, for example. Um, I mean, it's it's like a very small sample size, but, but each of them were, weren't really consistent with going to the gym in the first place. So I, the way that I see these solutions is a way to almost broaden or widen the fitness market. Um, like I, I can't see, for example, and obviously this is just predictions and, and guesses, but I can't see someone who's already considers the gym as something that they regularly do, deciding to leave and buy a like $1,500 bike with a $50 a month subscription to, to just train in their living room instead. Now, granted with, with gyms closing, some people were forced to do that, but it's not exactly a cheaper solution. And there are a lot of downsides because if you just don't attend a Peloton live class, you know, the, again, there's not much accountability there. You just don't have to turn the bike on. Um, I think it's, it's broadening the options for people. It's broadening the market, but there's still an immense market of people who want to use gyms, want to use personal training services online and offline. And that's still growing at the same time. And even once someone has one of these tools or uses one of these tools, it's only really if it works for them, completely works for them and gets them to their result, that they'll probably never consider hiring help or hiring a PT. Because um, really, the, the, the reason why most people hire someone is they try one of these solutions, right? Whether it's a specific piece of equipment or a specific exercise or a specific diet that is that claims to work. And then inevitably, they run into problems with it, like integrating it with the rest of their life. And then they seek help. So and I think until someone releases something that is a complete solution for everybody, that's really easy to, to use and stay accountable with, um, people will always want assistance from someone who's just got more experience than them. Yeah, I think we could always bet that humans are going to be a part of the equation in the fitness industry, at least for quite some time until there's robots that are also really compelling as companions. Uh, but, but hey, this was an awesome conversation. This was a ton of fun. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to jump on. I know I'm just some random dude on Twitter, and I hit up Yousef, and uh, he was he was just so receptive to, to being on the podcast. But I know I learned a lot. I hope that when people get the opportunity to listen to this, I'm going to promote this as much as possible, send it to all my friends, because I think there's so many nuggets of wisdom in there that every, anybody can take away. Um, 
So I'm definitely going to send this to everybody I know. But thank you guys so much for coming on, and I hope we get the opportunity to do something like this in the future. Not at all, awesome. man. It was an absolute pleasure, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing where you take video as well, because I think that it sounds like you really understand the industry and um, you're really fulfilling a, a need that is that just hasn't been adequately solved so far. So, um, yeah, looking forward to trying out the platform myself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We can uh, definitely do a demo call soon. I can show you how it works and we can uh, you know, get you guys onboarded. Cool. And then um, in terms of uh, finding out more about us as well, just have a look on um, Propane Fitness on any of, our, any of our channels. So we're on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, uh, or propanefitness.com or propane-business.com for the uh, for the business stuff. Unfortunately, we, we couldn't. We, we were... We tried to buy propane business one word, and it was about forty thousand dollars. So, <laughs> so we were like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> let's just put a hyphen in there." Yeah, we. Um, I'll definitely link your website too in the show description. I can edit that when I go through, um, and I'll make sure everybody has that. But yeah, propanefitness.com at propanefitness on Twitter. Um, definitely go check out the articles and their podcast because it's just it's some phenomenal stuff. And I had more questions to ask, but unfortunately, time is a factor. No worries, man. Well. Great chat and yeah, thanks for having catch up soon. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Yousef. Thanks, John. You guys have a great rest of your day. Bye. Cheers, man. Bye bye. Bye bye.